I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. You've been looking for me, yeah? Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. These are the tales that shaped the nation. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. The devastation those first bombs caused. Then I told them they were drinking cyanide. (laughs) <laughs> Featuring the voices of Wes Study. At least 4,000 people died on the trail. Martin Starr. President Nixon called me the most dangerous man in America. Scott Hayes. Next thing I know, I'm standing over the bodies of Baker Morton. My pistol smoking in my hand. And Tristan McWilds. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Starring Dan Fogler as the ferryman. This is The Passage. Listen to The Passage now. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi there, Chelsea Handler here from the Dear Chelsea Podcast, and I love women. iHeart is proud to celebrate International Women's Day by highlighting some truly exceptional women and the work they do to make the world a better place. There are certain things that only women can do, like bring life into the world, multitask successfully, and in my opinion, women are the only people who should ever be seen wearing open-toed shoes. Our guest this week is none other than Monica Lewinsky. We discuss what to do about online bullying, why the media treats men and women so differently, and how we women can turn our pain into power. On Dear Chelsea, we give unfiltered, powerful, and often hilarious, I do say so myself, advice to our listeners who write in about anything from breakups and loss to nosy neighbors and what to do about your boyfriend's OnlyFans habit. Which brings us right back to International Women's Day. Take a moment this week to think about how you can support the women in your life and then take action. Find Dear Chelsea on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, the Weedian House. It's election time, and voting patterns have shown sluggishness during local elections. This episode, I'm hopeful that this will not be the case when you hear my conversations with the candidates I spoke with. How about this? Sometimes the issue is it costs too much money to live in Los Angeles. There's this attitude that, well, I've done it, why can't you? And so there really is a disconnect. And my interview with Dr. Cornell West. Do we have what it takes to acknowledge the rich humanity and creativity of our precious unhoused brothers and sisters? Listen to Weedy and Howls on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Hi, hello there. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am your host, Liv, here with another wonderful conversation episodes because, gods, I love conversation episodes. Today, I have got returning guest, Yentl Love. Yentl joined me on the podcast all the way back in 2021. Like, I honestly think she was one of the earliest guests I had. And true to Yentl's expertise and online persona back then, and now she is back to talk about queerness in ancient myth. But now she's even fancier. See, Yentl is teaching a course on queer theory in classics soon. And so join me to talk all about that. We talked about queer theory, that is the study of queerness broadly, uh, but particularly how it applies to study in the ancient world and like what that means for modern people and those in the ancient world. It was generally all fascinating, but we also talked about uh, Lil Nas X because yeah, like he's deeply relevant when it comes to this topic. (laughs) No spoilies as to how and why though. I'm going to let Yentl talk about that because I've never been so enthralled listening to someone talk about a music video. Like, honestly, just wait. We had so much fun with this chat, and it's really just generally so interesting, but also beneficial. Like, it's important to talk about queerness, gender, and sexuality in the ancient world because it really connects to the modern world. And so I am thrilled to not only have a returning guest, but someone whose knowledge has just grown so much since the last time that she was on. And we all get to learn so much more. And how fucking fun is that? Conversations, queering the classical world with Yentl Love, the queer classicist. This is so exciting to have you back. It's wild because you were like one of my really earliest conversations. And I, re- I think it's been like two years, which is yeah, so, so bananas. Yeah. So it's so nice to have you back talking about queer things. But otherwise, I just kind of want to chat with you about like everything that you do, because I think just all the whole realm of like studying like queerness and relationship to mm-hmm. in relation to the classical world is fascinating. Um, so I know you kind of suggest, well, let's remind my listeners that you were here last time to talk about, I think it was just generally queerness as well. But then we also talked about like, was it like Harry Styles as it was Dionysus? Like Harry Styles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Which I I absolutely love and I at the time I did not know really anything about him and then last year I listened t- to so much Harry Styles that like yeah. it it went too far. <laughs> um but then, you know, this time you r- suggested talking about Lil Nas X, which is also fascinating. But yeah, I kind of just want to hear literally everything and anything when it comes to what you study and talk about and now what you're going to be teaching about because it's all amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm starting teaching about like queer theory and queerness in the ancient world. So it's very relevant. I know. Yeah. I was so excited to to have you want to come back because like, it's, yeah, it's, it's always something I want to talk about, but I don't know enough myself. So having guests on to like, mm. just tell me everything is so perfect. So like, maybe like, do you want to talk a little bit about like kind of the queer theory broadly, like kind mm-hmm. of how it applies, you know, to yeah, the ancient absolutely. world and what you study? Yeah. yeah. So queer theory is, um, basically just a form of kind of literary theory and the idea is that it branched off from 
like lesbian and gay theory because the practitioners thought that obviously lesbian and gay theory is very very valuable but your sexuality is such a small part of the kind of broader spectrum of who you are that to just focus on your sexuality kind of misses out a lot of the other identities which come together and provide like privilege and things like that so for example myself as a white queer person is going to have a massively different experience or a white cis queer person a massively different experience than a trans lesbian person of color even though we fall under the same lgbt umbrella and so these other identities have a really big impact on who we are as a person and so queer theory came about as kind of this intersectional approach to primarily studying sexuality but also it became not just a way to think about alternative sexualities but to think about focusing on power and who has the power in a society and what is considered normal and then who is quote-unquote the outsider so when it comes to sexuality you know things like heterosexuality is considered kind of the norm and it has been for hundreds thousands (laughs) of years um and so from that aspect queer theory then looks at like oh okay so these other sexualities are considered to be not normal or kind of deviant but then one of the really valuable things about queer theory is that you can then bring in other um other like aspects of study that also focus on the disempowered people and the kind of minority experiences So in classics, that can mean bringing in things like black classicism to look at classics through this kind of black scholarship and this, like in Lil Nas X, how how does the use of ancient history, what does that mean, like considering the fact that he is a black artist? Let's look at this through this kind of lens and what does that specifically mean in the, the use of classics? that can be all kinds of things like looking at both like race in antiquity but also the kind of reclaiming of figures in antiquity like the whole debate of over Cleopatra's race ethnicity that comes up a lot and then also like the work of like incredible black classics researchers all across the world that are doing like really amazing work people like I think her name's Emily Greenwood and so it brings in black studies and classics in this really interesting way also studies of disability and antiquity you know you can look at figures like Hephaestus the god through the lens of disability and yeah it's just it opens up a very interesting kind of intersectional approach to studying people who were considered not normal in quotes by kind of general society people who were on the outside and who didn't have that kind of like intrinsic power that society gave them um Mm -hmm. and that kind of brings us well into like another kind of really important thing about queer theory and what one of the reasons why I personally think it's so valuable is because whenever you say you're like talking about like 
the queer experience in it, the ancient world, you're always going to get people that are like, oh, but, you know, gay is a modern term and they're just like putting modern ideas on the ancient world. Like, I think that's one of the most common kind of like pushbacks. Oh, it is. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that comes up in your comments about, oh, different podcasts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's not new to you. Um, so, yeah. And so one of the, with queer theory, because you're, you're looking at kind of experiences and so you can say oh the like lived experiences of these people wasn't considered normal by society so that doesn't have to mean that oh it was exactly the same they would consider themselves a gay person you're not saying that you're saying that these experiences were not the considered the normal or the right or the proper kind of lived experiences for a person in antiquity and yeah so when we're using queer theory we try to say things like homoeroticism or same-sex attraction Hmm. and when I was first coming into classics I found that really annoying (laughs) because I was (laughs) like why are you like shying away from just saying oh this is this is like a gay person um Mm -hmm. yeah I found that really it really frustrated me but what I've come to kind of like learn throughout it and I completely also I completely completely get that people are frustrated that people say this person experienced same-sex attraction instead of just saying this person was probably gay I get why that is annoying especially when you're like looking for reflections of yourself in the past as we all do completely get that but I think one of the like potentially easiest ways to understand why it kind of makes a difference is for example now like I really like a sweet breakfast I'm a sweet breakfast kind of person if I see someone eating a savory breakfast I don't then immediately read like put them in my head with the label savory breakfast eater and I don't say oh like this person you won't ever like you won't ever imagine but they eat a savory breakfast couldn't believe it that's all them eating a savory breakfast because <laughs> we in the modern world don't consider that an identity yeah and so like in the same kind of way in the ancient world things weren't didn't necessarily I, our identities don't necessarily match up with what ancient identities were in another culture maybe what type of breakfast you eat will become a defining identity and then people in the future looking back might see oh it looks like this person enjoyed a sweet breakfast from now and again but it still wouldn't be correct to to put that kind of label which is why we use these terms like same-sex attraction and homoeroticism which you absolutely can see all the way through history mm-hmm. um and yeah, so that's just a slight, like, and I know I do appreciate that it can feel like you're just kind of scared to say these people were probably gay. But yeah. it's just all because of that, because identities don't necessarily match up through cultures and through time. But experiences do, and attraction does. So, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. I love that kind of explanation. and And I think it's like, I mean, yeah, as much as people can be frustrated by that, explaining it is really helpful and like gets that across of the why that that is you know a 
a good way of phrasing it. Like myself and, you know, obviously I'm in a different situation. I'm not in academia. I'm not studying and I am working like my, my work is meant to be for literally everybody. So I'm not, Mm -hmm. I don't go too deep into like phrases and, you know, all these different like terms. But for me, I've taken to saying things like, you know, this, this person was probably or was maybe what we would now call mm-hmm. gay and yeah. stuff which I think is like it's like it's not as obviously specific and, and detailed as, as using those terms but it is kind of like another way of doing that where you're like I'm not putting that on them because they would not have seen it yeah but like in order for modern people to understand you know it's kind of yeah. like that but I I'm interested how that like or what kind of terminology you would use like one of the things that I really like to talk about is um the you know the the mythology that exists around trans people in the ancient world and so like is there a kind of phrasing in that respect when you're when you're talking about you know those myths that we might see now as resembling trans stories i mean i think that with that just the like for example when i've been uh writing papers about like these early kind of conceptions of like Aphrodite or Venus that you see on Cyprus where you get this statue that is kind of shaped like a woman has like breasts and kind of feminine hair and feminine clothes but that has a beard and often like a dick a penis I don't know what you would say on the show (laughs) whatever Um, you want (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's the beauty of podcasting exactly and was thought of as both male and female at the same time. You get this guy called um, Macrobius, who's uh, ancient Roman in like 400 CE or AD, depending on what you want, who's writing about this. And figures like that, I think the term non-binary is incredibly useful. And obviously mm-hmm. it has, even in the modern day, people that are non-binary, there's a, a massive kind of spectrum of you know the pronouns they might use the way that they outwardly present themselves the experiences that they have non-binary even now doesn't have like a set definition or a set kind of experience it's it's still this broad uh, spectrum of experiences that we put under the label of non-binary and I think in that way I personally will use non-binary in my writings because it's just in the way that this isn't what the ancient world might have put in the category of male or female, Mm -hmm. like these two separate um, categories. But then even that in itself is kind of a flawed way to look at it because our male-female binary that we have now is kind of this direct result of Western colonialist views Mm -hmm. and what we consider male and female now as two separate defined identities we can't just like we can't say oh there were necessarily these sexual identities in the ancient world we don't know that our understanding of gender or our thoughts on gender match perfectly with the ancient world we don't know whether that's the case or not and you know there are a lot of these figures in antiquity that don't seem to fall in either category so I would say personally I use non-binary when I'm talking about things that don't seem to be presenting in the kind of traditional 
masculine or feminine fashion mm-hmm. um and then there are I think actually what you said about how you would describe how um people in the ancient world who we might today call lesbian or whichever I think that mm-hmm. kind of works quite well because you get like for example the Roman emperor <laughs> give me one sec because I'm just yeah. gonna make sure I'm saying this right because there are so many syllables oh god yeah yeah so the Roman emperor Elagabalus that was the one I was gonna guess when you said <laughs> so many syllables <laughs> exactly I'm always like which which ones come first um <laughs> But yeah, when we have like records of him, and obviously the records are potentially written by people who are trying to suggest that Elagabalus wasn't a great emperor and are trying Mm. to like slander him a bit. So we don't know like necessarily how absolutely accurate all of these are. But when they say things like, oh, um, they wanted to be known by a female name, um, they like acted like a wife to Hmm. other figures and they even there's one record that said suggests that they offered a massive amount of money to anyone who would give them a vagina wow so things like that I would say suggest that that emperor may have felt what we would call transgender may have been Mm -hmm. transgender but yeah so I think that, yeah, like you said, that's a really good way of kind of talking about these things, that these experiences, how we might understand them today is through this lens. I mm-hmm. mean, because even like like what ancient people considered to be marriage is very different to what we in the modern world, in modern society would consider to be marriage. And marriage as a concept is very different in different parts of the world. Like we do have these abstract concepts and we, you know, put them onto ancient world, the ancient world and put them onto different aspects of society as best we can to kind of say, hey, this is this might be a helpful way to understand this. And this might be mirrored in this practice. But at the end of the day, none of it is perfect. None of it matches on. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah, that's very I didn't know. I mean, I'm just so deep into Greece um, that mm. like I didn't even know about a, like a, a like, I'm not going to try to say their name. Um, <laughs> that emperor. I didn't know about that emperor. I know that I knew the name, but like I didn't even know the reference point. Like as soon as you said a bunch of syllables, I was like, is it that one? But yeah. I didn't know anything <laughs> about them. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's really interesting. And like, I always come back to, there's so many, I mean, it's like a lot of times, you know, in, in somebody like Ovid with these transformations um, that like we can read as resembling transgender identities in you mm-hmm. know in the modern world and yeah absolutely like, yeah and and I I always like to talk about them like not least they're interesting but also you know they're they're I think really helpful for people who identify that way now to like see themselves in the ancient world and so especially where I'm coming from where like it's very much for a general audience you mm-hmm. know it is so nice to have those kind of phrases where, where I can say like I think you know this person is what we would now see as trans yeah. It's nice because it's yeah. like it's very accessible and you get to use that same word that people identify with now and just sort of becomes beneficial in that respect. Yeah. And especially like, you know, when we have this author, this Roman author, Lucian, who writes this 
it's called the dialogues of the courtesans it's based it's not supposed to be factual it's supposed to be like funny but he's writing between of this kind of story and it's between two women and one of them is saying to the other like oh I've heard you're like sleeping with this woman now like tell me all about it I want to hear all the gossip about it and we hear this story that she that they're telling each other of this character who's called Megilla but later says no call me Megillos takes off this wig has a shorn like bold head and says I'm a man Hmm. and this girl says like what do you mean do you mean like did it did a god intervene like what are you like a eunuch and uh Megillos says no like I was born like you but I'm a man Hmm. and very clearly and says like oh you'll see like I can pleasure you just like any man would and but it's very like adamant that no like he might have been been introduced as Megilla which is a female name and he but he is Megillos he's a man um and I don't really know how else someone could interpret that you know (laughs) like that's pretty straightforward (laughs) yeah and people say you know oh but you know this is a comedy this is you know but even if it's a comedy even if Lucian is like laughing at this character even if this is some like transphobic joke that doesn't mean that for a transphobic joke to happen, trans people need to have existed. <laughs> like, so regardless of whether Lucian is like making fun of Megillus, that doesn't undermine Megillus's existence. Like, he still exists as a character that Lucian has written. Yeah. yeah, it's like, where would he have gotten the idea? Like, it, it's yeah. like the same with all the myths that are like that, which I love because the myths are a lot less straightforward. So I love that there are these like very straightforward examples from real people. Like, that's wonderful. I always forget that Rome can kind of give us that stuff when Greece can't always. Um, <laughs> but like the myths are, you know, are kind of they have a similar vein, which is just sort of this idea that like obviously these stories existed in some form and so yeah whether or not the person writing them or telling the stories you know approved or or like believed whatever the the story like they're still telling the story and thus a a person we can see as trans now still existed like regardless so yeah exactly yeah yeah. yeah, the argument that Lucian was making fun of them and thus, like, it's not real is, like, bananas. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Woo! Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway listening to the B-52s. 
looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. <laughs> Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. You've been looking for me, yeah? Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. These are the tales that shaped the nation. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. Then I told him they were drinking cyanide. <laughs> Featuring the voices of Wes Study. At least 4,000 people died on the trail. Martin Starr. President Nixon called me the most dangerous man in America. Scott Hayes. Next thing I know, I'm standing over the bodies of Baker Morton. My pistol smoking in my hand. And Tristan McWilds. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Starring Dan Fogler as the ferryman. This is The Passage. Listen to The Passage now. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi there, Chelsea Handler here from the Dear Chelsea Podcast, and I love women. iHeart is proud to celebrate International Women's Day by highlighting some truly exceptional women and the work they do to make the world a better place. There are certain things that only women can do, like bring life into the world, multitask successfully, and in my opinion, women are the only people who should ever be seen wearing open-toed shoes. Our guest this week is none other than Monica Lewinsky. We discuss what to do about online bullying, why the media treats men and women so differently, and how we women can turn our pain into power. On Dear Chelsea, we give unfiltered, powerful, and often hilarious, I do say so myself, advice to our listeners who write in about anything from breakups and loss to nosy neighbors and what to do about your boyfriend's OnlyFans habit. Which brings us right back to International Women's Day. Take a moment this week to think about how you can support the women in your life and then take action. Find Dear Chelsea on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, Weedian House. It's election time, and voting patterns have shown sluggishness during local elections. This episode, I'm hopeful that this will not be the case when you hear my conversations with the candidates I spoke with. How about this? Sometimes the issue is it costs too much money to live in Los Angeles. There's this attitude that, well, I've done it. Why can't you? And so there really is a disconnect. And my interview with Dr. Cornell West. Do we have what it takes to acknowledge the rich humanity and creativity of our precious unhoused brothers and sisters? Listen to Weedy and Howls on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, since we're on this and like I kind of want to jump around and talk about everything, but um, you brought up the the statues of Aphrodite. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. one of the other things that you kind of suggested we talk about um, was like trans Aphrodite. And that's something that I have not looked into much, but like I've always kind of known stories of. And so I would love to hear more about these ideas of like a trans Aphrodite. Yeah. So I love this idea and this concept of like a trans Aphrodite I think it's one of the most like one of my favorite kind of interpretations of uh god or goddess from antiquity 
And actually, uh, Bethany Hughes wrote in her book, Venus and Aphrodite, which is an amazing, amazing book. She Mm -hmm. writes about how the kind of like birth story of Venus or Aphrodite is that you have uh, this Titan, like OG God Uranus, and his son cuts his dick off and throws it into the sea. And then from this (laughs) cut off dick, I call it castration foam. That's been my okay. Uh, nice. I've kind of coined that term. Yeah, very early I love on the that. Podcast. I love it. Castration From the castration foam. foam, up comes Aphrodite, and so biologically, Aphrodite just is a hundred percent male. There has been no female influence hmm. in her creation. She's a hundred percent come out of <laughs> a dick, <laughs> um, and so Bethany Hughes talks about this and says that it's it could be this early recognition of a non-binary nature of sex and desire which I think is a really interesting starting point just Mm -hmm. just yeah that she comes out of this kind of mythology in a really interesting uh way and then yeah like I said in it's in Cyprus that you see these kind of sculptures of the goddess in like a traditional female form and dress but then wearing a really thick beard And you also, alongside these kind of depictions of the goddess in these sanctuaries across Cyprus, you see these non-binary figures who appear to have been potentially what we would call like transgender priests. Mm -hmm. So these figures don't fall into a typical category of male or female, and they're all kind of coming together in this worship of Aphrodite in this specific region. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say too, for the listeners, like Cyprus is also mythologically where she was born. Yes. Which I think also says Uh a lot about that, like where that castration foam erupted was said to be off the coast of Cyprus. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And yeah, Aristophanes, this playwright talks about Aphrodite and says that, oh, she was brought to Athens from Cyprus and that on Cyprus, people worshipped Aphrodite, Aphroditos. So that's an Aphrodite in both like female and male form. And that she had these massive like celebrations where people cross-dressed in her honour. Um, so, yeah, like all the way through, in loads of different sources, we find it all coming back to Cyprus. And then there being this kind of fluidity of the kind of gendered appearance and associations with the goddess, which I think is just so, yeah, it's just so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said before, this guy, Macrobius, this Roman uh, writer, who then talked about this again, about this statue of Venus that, you know, had a beard, was dressed as a woman, but then was exposing the fact that she had this dick. And they conceive of her as not just female, but also male. And he lists off a whole bunch of different authors. So um, also Aristophanes again, and he's this guy, Lavius. And uh, Philorchus is another one. And he has them all in a list, basically just like providing more evidence to the fact that, oh, like Philorchus also says that, men sacrifice to her wearing women's dress and women in men's because she's held to be both male and female Hmm. um so yeah so reading that 
there does seem to be this association and it is it isn't found all over ancient Greece like it is just it seems to be very specifically located to Cyprus but it's just a really fascinating kind of like mini celebration in the kind of broader scheme of celebrations of this goddess of who's you know effectively of you know love beauty sex she's like this pinnacle of like at the time what it meant to be this desirable woman and then you get this just really interesting like kind of um focus in on this non-binary approach to as Bethany Hughes said this non-binary nature of sex and desire and yeah that's expressed through her sculptures the it looks like what the priests might have worn and identified with and all of these like worshippers and yeah it just it's just a really interesting kind of case study into the fact that ancient history wasn't just cisgender binary this is male this is female but there's just this like massive colorful spectrum of experiences and yeah it's really cool (laughs) well and it makes me think too about the fact that she is tied to the story of hermaphroditus which Mm -hmm. is like this idea of an intersex person and it feels like i mean that it's interesting that 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 story is sort of and I don't know the regionality of that. I'm I'm forgetting where I know a lot of it probably comes from Ovid, but I'm trying to think of like anything early earlier sources. But it's interesting that like she has this nature tied to Cyprus, but even in the broader kind of sense, she still has these kind of, you know, fluidity mm-hmm. of gender stories or this this story of a person who is just inherently both you know, biologically and, and that sort of interesting in itself, or like a sort of a connection to like the broader Greek world, having these stories that tie in with Aphrodite and even the, like the Eros of it all too, because there's all these different kind of stories about what level of like relation Eros has to Aphrodite. Like there's the idea of that kind of primordial Eros, but then also the Eros that is more directly born like sometimes it's like he's born alongside her too. Like I feel like Hesiod is the one or he also talks about the primordial Eros, but then he also has this Eros that is born like almost with Aphrodite from that foam. And that yeah. kind of feels like a similar thing where it's like, we still have these kind of like, unlike the rest of the gods, which kind of have their sort of one-off thing that they're the God of, and there's only one and they're gendered and whatever, like love is the thing, love and desire and sexuality is the thing that gets even in the most sort of conservative tellings you still get a female goddess and a male goddess of those mm. things and then if you do look into it beyond that and 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 are looking at it more for that kind of non-binary fluidity nature like you will you can sort of see how the the two of them kind of act in tandem as this kind of like team so that there are you know, there is like a, a broader spectrum when it comes to really specifically sexuality and love and desire and everything. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um. Do you know, I'm curious, like, especially because of where Cyprus is, like so far east, you know, there, there are all these ties fr- with Aphrodite to goddesses of the east. Mm-hmm. Like, for some reason, Astarte is the only one I can think of right now yeah. but I, oh and and like inanna and, and ishtar 
Mm-hmm. Halo's connection to Aphrodite? I'm questioning everything now. But but basically, do you know if those if those Eastern forms that kind of lend themselves to Aphrodite historically, like whether they had any kind of trans nature as well? Yeah, like they completely do. Like, so we've got like in Phoenicia, we have like Astarte and then like in uh, different areas of the Near East, it's, it's, it's Ishtar. And then from Ishtar, you can go even further back to ancient Sumeria to Inanna and I think it's Ishtar, but also it might crop up in some of the worship of Inanna as well. But they have, we have these texts that talk about oh, like how amazing their goddesses are. And they say, oh, and your ability to turn men to women. Hmm. And there are these things that pop up about um, different like priests and priestesses where these ancient goddesses were seen to have the ability to take someone who had, you know, been identified male at birth and then through the worship of this goddess was then transformed into something else, Um, whether they were then considered to be like a woman or whether it was just like no longer a man. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we see this ability in these kind of this Near Eastern goddess worship with uh, Ishtar and Inanna, who it seems like they can transcend the normal like boundaries of gender and they have the ability to enable their worshippers to kind of transcend this typical binary, um, mm-hmm. which is actually like a big part of when you're looking for evidence of especially kind of like transgender experiences, it often comes through uh, divine intervention. Mm -hmm. Like it's very much seen like, okay, this, that's why I think the example with Lucian and Megilla or Megillos is a really interesting example because that's one of the only ones where there isn't any kind of God involved. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all the way throughout like Ovid's metamorphoses with the characters like, Iphis and Canius and people um they are all they all change gender through the intervention of a god or goddess um Mm -hmm. and yeah it's very much seen like this is the ability of the divine to do this Mm -hmm. um and so yeah that's quite an interesting connection I think that the divine have yeah that it's seen as something that can be I wouldn't say necessarily a gift but (laughs) it's seen as like the to change gender often requires a god involved in these Mm -hmm. stories which isn't to say of course that like that was the experience of lived people in ancient times but just with the literature that we see a lot of the literature attributes that to the gods being above nature and above the kind of limits of people and culture and all of this kind of thing. The gods act outside of that. And so they can change things that people might not be able to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've always kind of seen it through those stories specifically. And like, and I do think mostly of the same ones you mentioned, like Iphis and and Canis, but 
like the idea I mean Canis is a little bit diff- different and weird because it's there's like a trauma involved mm-hmm. yeah um but Iphis is a good example where it it's almost like the god was just kind of able to to give them like what they wanted you know and sort of yeah. like fix what was seen as a problem and it's kind of nice you know it's kind of like it, it, it's almost and I you know it's impossible to say what people's lived experiences were like you said but but it's kind of nice for to imagine that it was seen like that where we're like a person who you know felt like they were born in the wrong body you know could have this example of like oh well you know like at least somebody like me got changed by the god to be who they felt that they were or things like that it's kind of like it's just kind of nice yeah you know yeah I know I think you can really like because the whole point of like ancient stories they're supposed to be entertaining you're supposed to like enjoy reading them right so I think there isn't anything wrong with like trying to find affirmations and find like good bits in them so like even this uh story of Canis who like as you said am I saying that right I haven't said that in so long I, Canis, I was Canis. trying to remember it well it's both and I think Canis is when they're a woman and then right. Canis is when okay. they're transformed into a man. Yeah. So that's why I know I questioned I it. Too I haven't when read I said Ovid in such a I know. Time. I have not, I've read Ovid, but not that story. It's actually on my yeah. list of like, I'm probably going to cover it around the time when this episode is coming yeah. out. <laughs> okay. But yeah, but I think you yeah. had it right. <laughs> but okay, so like even in uh, this depiction of Kenya, so as you said, it, the transformation comes from trauma. It's not a nice position that we find for this kind of change in gender. We don't find that happening out of a, for a good reason but at the end of the passage about like at the end of this kind of story we see this uh big fight between the centaurs and the lapiths and Caeneas is in that fight and some centaurs are like chatting shit like oh like you were you're not even a real man you were born a woman like you're not a proper man and then Caeneas like completely beats the shit out of them like wrecks them all and then at the end, there's this kind of affirming, like, oh, see, like, he's a real guy. He did everything that you could do. Like, and the characters then really support Caeneas and attack this kind of transphobic centaur, which mm-hmm. is like a, a mad <laughs> sentence. Um, so like... Transphobic centaur is a whole vibe. Exactly. <laughs> so like, even in a story that begins with a massive amount of trauma and like pain, you can still kind of take away these potentially like affirming aspects. And I think that's like an important thing to remember that like stories are meant, like you're meant to enjoy these stories. They're not just things. I don't think the classics should ever like remain just things to like study and these kind of like dusty texts that you just have to, think really critically about like at the end of the day these were stories designed to entertain people and I think it's important that they kind of remain like that like they should otherwise the whole field is just going to die if people don't feel like they can actually enjoy and relate to and I mean as you can see with all of the retellings that are happening at the moment like Mm -hmm. I know that's like big about how many different kind of like stories we're seeing coming out there And I just think it's so valuable. I'm like, yeah, we should all be like reading all of these different myths and all of these stories by these ancient authors. They're crazy entertaining. 
some of them are unbelievably like awful but in the best kind of way like if I don't know have you ever read any like of juveniles work no um when I'm sure you'll eventually like cover (laughs) juvenile satires like oh my days that it's stuff that is like shocking to joke about now but it's still like massively entertaining to read um and yeah so I think that there is something really valuable about finding the joy and the affirmation in these ancient myths and stories. And we shouldn't forget that these are stories and they're designed Mm -hmm. to be told and to be read and to be interpreted in whatever way you want, because these are fictional stories, like things like Ovid and things like that. And yeah, I think a lot of the time, especially, and like (laughs) as someone in the field, maybe at times I'm part of the problem, but I think we can put this very kind of like clinical, like, you know, we just analyze all of this stuff and forget that like its primary purpose is like as a form of entertainment. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I say this all the time, but like I started the podcast specifically because I'd like I studied ancient Greece and, and mythology and then like mm. didn't do anything with it for a while. And then I was like bored and sad one day and I was reading random things and came yeah. across the like the um the story of Pasiphae mm. conceiving the Minotaur, and I just remember looking at it again and being like, "This is wild. Why do you, like more people need to tell stories of Greek yeah. myth while emphasizing the fact that this is wild with like versus yeah how they're so often covered where it's like this is just the story from the ancient world. They were so brilliant and interesting, aren't yeah, they? Perfect. Exactly. Yes. And meanwhile, you're like. The woman <laughs> had a constructed fake cow created so that she could fuck a bull. Like, like we need to talk about oh it as well. Days. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sure. Or like, uh, you know, I mean, Lucian is a good example. The only Lucian I've read is The True History, mm. which is one of the funniest, most absurd things that I've ever read in my life. Yeah. It's yeah. just like nonsense. And yeah. I love the idea that ancient writers were just like writing nonsense because they felt like it and they thought it was funny. Like, that's amazing yeah, and, and absolutely that's not yeah. talked about enough yeah yeah for sure um, on the other side of it one of the things I thought of while you were talking about um all of these kinds of stories and sources and things is like one of the things that comes to me so often when I'm trying to tell queer stories from the ancient world is that like one there are basically no explicit stories of women having sexual relationships which I find fascinating and have my own like silly theories on that are not based in me having read anything but (laughs) but also every time there are stories of men having sexual relationships and romantic relationships with other men they like always end badly Mm -hmm. like it's always a god with a mortal man and that mortal (laughs) man always dies or like if they're not a god then it's just like the achilles and patroclus of it all and so Mm -hmm. i'm curious like if you've kind of looked at that or like what your thoughts are on how inherently tragic like 95% of those stories are yeah I think a lot of it comes from the idea that there was a right and a wrong way to have relationships between men Mm -hmm. and so it kind of links back to this like idea of pederasty Mm -hmm. and that's like often like quite like a red flag idea like people get very like het up about it But the idea was that in the ancient world, people were attracted to youth 
And that's basically like the whole thing. They thought like a lot that people were ready for sex and relationships a lot younger than we might think. Mm-hmm. So like, but it's not just, and I think this is where people, it can potentially be like a dangerous thing because people talk about how, oh, in pederasty, there's normally this older man that is called, now give me one set because sometimes I mix it's, up the... I had this so conversation with somebody Arastes. like two days ago. Yeah, yeah. Great. So the Erastes is the older man, the Aromanos is the younger man. And so the Aromanos, the younger male, often is going to be around 15 ish between like 14 16 like before you can properly grow a beard and then the Orestes is you know 30 a lot older so obviously not in modern standards not an okay relationship like very bad but also young girls were getting married at the same age I was just gonna say that because I feel like that is not yeah mentioned enough in reference to it like that yeah, exactly. that occurs. I think that is so too. important to yes. compare because people then demonize this one relationship, which I absolutely think that it should be. I in no way <laughs> think that this is at all okay. But it was also happening between men and girls as well. Yeah. So this isn't just like a oh the gays <laughs> the gays were doing yeah. it this way. This is everyone of whichever, you know sexuality whatever preference these people may have had they were all older men were having sex with young people that's how Mm. it was across the board and that was what was acceptable but in a lot of these stories what you see is to the these kind of tragic stories between men it's often men that are a similar age or that seem to be a similar age Mm-hmm. that definitely don't necessarily fall into the Erastes, Eremenos um, categories, which is why, like, we have these records in the ancient world of people debating with Achilles and Patroclus, okay, who was the Erastes, who was the Eremenos? You know, they're, they're really trying to, like, nail it down because that is how a relationship with two men was supposed to work. One was supposed to be older, one was supposed to be younger in order for it to be like socially acceptable so to me I think that is why a lot of these relationships you know you can see it between like Heracles and Hylas or as you said like Apollo with so many different men Um, all of of the gods like just with all of these different guys and it always ends tragically you never get like a happy ride off into the sunset moment you know um, what though? Sorry, I because I that's so true. Except Zeus and Ganymede do kind of come across as if it's a good thing, and that's specifically like the age gap. Yeah. So it's uh-huh. yeah, that's interesting. It's yeah, like that's one that's, of the only ones. That is actually true. Yeah, that's yeah. actually really interesting because Ganymede is a young Trojan prince. Like that is the whole thing that his mm-hmm. youth is kind of emphasized. And he doesn't die and everyone else dies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that is really interesting. But like in a lot of these other ones where people do die, it seems to be that they're like kind of closer in age or that their ages aren't and their roles within the relationship aren't clearly marked out. And so potentially 
I mean, this is like my interpretation, but I think that potentially these relationships aren't condoned by society. And mm-hmm. so they have to end badly because, you know, society isn't ready for them to end well. Um mm-hmm. You know, it kind of like arguably just falls back into the kind of like bury your gaze trope mm-hmm. that we even see on like TV now. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that because they weren't necessarily completely like socially acceptable because they didn't fall into this pattern that they were supposed to, they weren't allowed to end well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I so around the time when this conversation will air, I also had one, um, which I only recorded two days ago. So it's like Mm. in my head and I'm trying to think of when they're all coming out. But um, I talked to somebody about specifically Achilles and Patroclus, Mm -hmm. like primarily in relation to, to modern reception. But we talked a lot about that kind of Eromanus and Erastes situation, which is so interesting with them. And one thing that occurred to me in that conversation um, is also that like, they, I mean, they don't fit it and they die tragically, like you were saying. But what's interesting about them is like the people who then debate that so heavily in later texts, like the thing, the big thing that is sort of like glaring when we know it is that like when that story was being told, like the Iliad, when it was Mm. existing in its first iterations is probably at least based on our evidence for sure before the the relationships of Erastes and Eromanos like yeah. and pederasty broadly like became popular so it's kind of extra interesting on this like other level it doesn't really explain I mean I think that they both had to die because that's just like the way the Iliad had to go and it's kind of unrelated to their yeah. romantic relationship in a way yeah, that like yeah. yeah Apollo and Hyacinthus it's it's more related to like what you're talking about mm-hmm. but it is really interesting to kind of imagine them having all these debates and they're like so mad trying to figure out like who's yes. basically yeah, the top exactly. and who's the bottom. Yeah. But it's like, dudes, like this was before that was a thing. Yeah. Like you can't understand yeah. it, which is why you're so annoyed trying to figure exactly. it out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. And looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. 
In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. You've been looking for me, yeah? Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. These are the tales that shaped the nation. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. Then I told him they were drinking cyanide. <laughs> Featuring the voices of Wes Study. At least 4,000 people died on the trail. Martin Starr. President Nixon called me the most dangerous man in America. Scott Hayes. Next thing I know, I'm standing over the bodies of Baker Morton. My pistol smoking in my hand. And Tristan McWilds. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Starring Dan Fogler as the ferryman. This is The Passage. Listen to The Passage now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi there, Chelsea Handler here from the Dear Chelsea Podcast, and I love women. iHeart is proud to celebrate International Women's Day by highlighting some truly exceptional women and the work they do to make the world a better place. There are certain things that only women can do, like bring life into the world, multitask successfully, and in my opinion, women are the only people who should ever be seen wearing open-toed shoes. Our guest this week is none other than Monica Lewinsky. We discuss what to do about online bullying, why the media treats men and women so differently, and how we women can turn our pain into power. On Dear Chelsea, we give unfiltered, powerful, and often hilarious, I do say so myself, advice to our listeners who write in about anything from breakups and loss to nosy neighbors and what to do about your boyfriend's OnlyFans habit. Which brings us right back to International Women's Day. Take a moment this week to think about how you can support the women in your life and then take action. Find Dear Chelsea on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, Weedian House. It's election time, and voting patterns have shown sluggishness during local elections. This episode, I'm hopeful that this will not be the case when you hear my conversations with the candidates I spoke with. How about this? Sometimes the issue is it costs too much money to live in Los Angeles. There's this attitude that, well, I've done it, why can't you? And so there really is a disconnect. And my interview with Dr. Cornell West. Do we have what it takes to acknowledge the rich humanity and creativity of our precious unhoused brothers and sisters? Listen to Weedy and Howls on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's but for them to yeah. be, you know, this amazing work of literature, but you can't possibly have like a relationship between two men that doesn't fall into this, like Erastes Eremenov paradigm so quick. Like, how does it work? How can we make it fit? Yeah. 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 It's so interesting. Oh, I mm. love it. I mean, also it's all dark, but like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but okay. So that one of the things I said earlier, and I would love to know if there, if I'm wrong about this, but like. The lack of two women who have romantic and sexual relationships in ancient Greece, I find, or mythology specifically, mm-hmm. but I'm like, if there's any from history too, amazing, I want to hear it. But like, other than Sappho, mm-hmm. um, but like, it, it's interesting to me because it, it like my little theory that again, like I have not read anything about whether people have talked about this or debated it or what have you, but like my little theory is basically that like 
it, it's only a matter of who recorded the stories that we now have. Mm-hmm. And they probably, especially because of their kind of obsession with um, penetration that mm-hmm. comes along with the pederasty, um, that they basically just like, if they were considering whether women were having sexual relationships with each other, they didn't see whatever women did to each other as sexual. And so they just like, it's like it kind of went under the radar. Mm-hmm. And I like to imagine that in a really good way of like women were kind of able to be more sexual with each other than they, you know, than we might think purely because nobody saw it as sex. And so they didn't get into any trouble. And like, but then it also meant that it never made it into, you know, myths or anything like the closest we have, obviously, is like stuff you can kind of imagine based on Artemis, but it's it's certainly never explicit. Mm. Yeah. Basically, all of this is kind of like really framed around male pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, one of the kind of things that people draw most often with Artemis is her encounter with Callisto, right? And, you know, uh, Jupiter or Zeus disguises himself as Artemis in order to assault Callisto because that's the only way that you can get close is by pretending to be Artemis. And so you can, like, draw from that, oh, well, then it would make sense if Artemis and Callisto would potentially sometimes have like sex or have they were in some form of like relationship there was some attraction because that is how Zeus Jupiter had to disguise himself but even Mm -hmm. that is framed through male pleasure Mm -hmm. like it's a it's an awful scene because of what we know is happening like it's obviously like incredibly tragic but that's how people might like get that kind of like infer those things about the character of Artemis. Yeah, even one of the places where you kind of see depictions of what might be uh, women like having sex with each other, double-ended dildos, things like that, is on these this like pottery that was normally used in symposiums. But again, like these kind of like banquets between men where men are drunk and then have these like, oh, look at these women like having sex with each other. It's then like not really about women. It's all again, like Mm -hmm. viewed through the lens of men, like, oh, this is like what, you know, they might have then found attractive to have seen. So yeah, like you said, it's, I think it's all to do with like, where are the sources coming from? We Mm -hmm. don't actually hear apart from people like Sappho and, you know, we know there are other people uh, like Gnosis, another like female poet who's said to kind of have done the same thing, but mainly like mm. Sappho is kind of the big one. And even well, still people debate her. They debate yeah. whether or not she actually was like writing for somebody else about a woman yeah. or if she actually exactly. loved women. It's like, oh my oh, God. Was yeah. she imagining how would I feel if I was a man? Like, is yeah. that <laughs> just literally Give trying to break. write out any, <laughs> any kind of like same sex attraction, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah ridiculous um the only other kind of thing that we do have is people like juvenile that I mentioned before uh talking quite negatively about like certain women that he thought were like too masculine and oh they'll even like have sex with other women yeah so he like talks quite negatively about you know like the tribas which like in latin like comes from like the word to rub and this idea of like these women that are like oh they're so like awful they're even like 
having sex with other women now and they like look so ugly and they look so manly and again like <laughs> this is all coming from like a very very male view who is like oh are these women going to be threats to me these women aren't acting like women normally should yeah but, yeah it's very limited what yeah we have. yeah yeah I mean it's so interesting at all yeah like it's I mean, people ask me about those stories all the time. Like, why don't you talk about stories between women? And I'm like, it's not my fault. Like, yeah. I would love to. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I promise I would. Like, it is yeah. entirely, I mean, it's all about like what it comes down to with like most of my podcasts, which is like, it's all about the patriarchy. Yeah. But like, For sure. yeah, I mean, there's a reason that we have the sources that we have. And it's not because that like, you know, it's not because women weren't writing stuff down or women weren't telling stories or women weren't having these experiences it's just that they don't survive for us today yeah. because of all the men who stood in yeah, the way exactly. like, yeah but it's like the fact that we only have like you know we have so few of Sappho's poems left even mm-hmm. though we know there were tons out there but you know the men came in and they burnt them all and now we don't yeah and even the ones we do have are like a fluke yeah it's like they're all like we found this piece on like another thing like yeah exactly yeah yeah it's it's utterly fascinating I also feel like I am just always um required now to think about the time that I released an entire episode on Sappho and the island of Lesbos and then had somebody on Twitter tell me that I was using a slur and if I was (laughs) no seriously did you miss that I missed that oh my god I yes it was a couple years ago and I did this entire episode dedicated to Sappho and the episode title was called the like lesbian from Lesbos was like in Mm. in the title yeah and I got a dm from somebody on Instagram and their I don't know what their username was or whether it indicated anything about them but like I just remember really specifically that their image was a picture of Taylor Swift and (laughs) (laughs) I think it just says a lot yeah basically they dm'd me and they were like I was scrolling, I found your podcast and I was scrolling through the titles and that's key. They were, didn't say okay. they were listening. Yeah. They were scrolling through the titles and they were like, and I saw that you used the word lesbo and I was, and, the, and they were like, and I just want you to know that that's a slur and you should take it down and never use it again. And then they were like, if you're a lesbian, then I'm okay with it. But if you're not, then I'm not okay with it. (laughs) And I just, I like, I mean, it was the funniest message I've ever gotten. And I like replied to them and I was like, that is the wildest thing I've ever read. (laughs) Like the episode is about the origin of the word lesbian. Like you need to get a grip. It's an island. That's literally where the word, I was like, I talk, I told you the history of the first official lesbian and you're mad at me. Because yeah. I use the name of an island. You read the titles of the <laughs> podcast. Yeah, like exactly. You oh didn't listen. Days. I can no. tell you that. Anyway, the the funny part was that I tweeted just a screenshot of like the DM and some yeah. my caption was something like, "This is the wildest thing I've ever read." I was talking yeah. about Sappho. Yeah. And it was like my most viral tweet ever. And also the number of people <laughs> who like still got mad at me, or then I had the people who were like, "It's pronounced Lesvos." And I was like, I know it is in modern Greek. It's fine. Like, just let's not, that's not the point. Yeah. Like, that's not the purpose of what's happening. Yeah. Anyway, it was an incredible experience. And I think about it every single time that, that I mad. think about Sappho now. Yeah. It's the funniest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> but then they, they're actually really nice. And they replied like, oh, thank you for teaching me. And I was like, maybe you should have just, like, just like even clicked to the description, yeah. which literally says this episode is about Sappho. 
the origin of the word lesbian from yeah. the island of Lesbos. Like, I made it really clear. <laughs> yeah. Like, thank you for teaching me. Interestingly, what a podcast can actually do if you actually press play and you actually listen is it could actually teach you just itself. <laughs> or like literally Google one single thing before you think I'm using a slur. Yeah. One th- and then of course I had a lot of lesbians in my comments being like, I don't think that's a slur. Is that a slur? No. <laughs> it was like a, it was generally a yeah. great experience. Um Anyway, I don't know how we got there talking about Sappho, but it is, yeah, it's so fascinating, this kind of like complete lack of of women's stories. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think my like sort of happier way of seeing it is just the idea that they were all have been really sexually satisfied with each other at all times, <laughs> but because they weren't necessarily using traditional modes of penetration, the men just like didn't see it as sex and it yeah. never got written down yeah. or it, if it did, it just got lost because of, you know, christian monks later mm, uh-huh, like horrified sure. yeah <laughs> yeah no absolutely okay i mean god's topics everything exists but i do want to hear more about like what you because you talked a little bit about harry styles dionysus last time like tell me what you've kind of studied when it comes to lil nas x and like queerness and classics yeah. and whatever yeah oh so i'm just absolutely i'm just obsessed with lil nas x at the moment <laughs> I'll be in that top 0.1% forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Lil Nas X, it's specifically his music video. I don't know if you watched the Montero Call Me By Your Name music video. I did back when it came out. Yeah. yeah but it's been a while. So this music video, unbelievably amazing, as everything that Lil Nas X does is. But it basically, the video itself is like, has a lot of ties with the ancient world, with antiquity. And it kind of like really emphasizes that at one point you see this inscription on a tree, which is from uh, Plato's Symposium. And mm. um, I don't know if you covered Plato's Symposium in I did episodes? really early on. And I think I did like a really, now I look back and I'm like, that was not a very good job. There's <laughs> so much more to say. So actually it's funny you say that because I, I'm going to cover it again in better detail. Okay, around the cool. same month this is coming out so oh, maybe perfect so yeah maybe really this will well. line up really well yeah. yeah um well yeah so it's specifically referring to this part where plato has this character aristophanes say oh um humans originally were like made of two two parts and then they were they were either like male 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 female or female female and then zeus feared their power split them down the middle and now we all search for our original half and that's like where soulmates, where our soulmates are. That's how, why we have soulmates. But it's also kind of like this early explanation of that's why some men are attracted to other men. That's why some women are attracted to other women. And that's why some men are attracted to women. Some women are attracted to men. So it's kind of like this really early like explanation, mythology behind why soulmates exist for them. and why people are attracted to different people. So yeah, there's this quote in ancient Greek written on a tree and hmm. it's referencing that. Such like a deep cut too. Like there's a really, really specific type of person who is going to get that. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not even like it's like written in English, but yeah, like, like it's I actually in get it. ancient Greek. No, I <laughs> yeah. literally paused it, got out my like ancient Greek dictionary <laughs> and was like trying to, um piece enough together that I could be like oh Plato's Symposium okay um 
yeah so it's it's a very niche reference and then <laughs> right at the end of the video this uh scene where he gives a lap dance to the devil hmm. if you can tear your eyes away from the spectacle you can see that there's this latin inscription in front which says uh, again it's in latin but the translation is uh they condemn what they do not understand so hmm. like super meaningful absolutely amazing but yeah yeah so you have right at the start right at the end these ancient greek and latin texts that kind of just emphasize the connection with antiquity and the ancient world and yeah you get this from the start you go through a kind of ruined landscape where there's this broken down like doric temple and a uh, doric temple is this style of temple that in ancient rome particularly becomes like associated with masculinity oh um, i didn't know that just for it just like straight blocky and they're like okay so that's male yeah um, yeah and then like the curvy one the... is female <laughs> um <laughs> sure. because everything has to be male or female yeah um but yeah so it becomes associated with masculinity and as well you have these like this broken down like aqueduct which again in kind of like roman thought in the kind of politics of their um expanding their empire and conquering they were like okay we'll bring build these viaducts transport water to where it was dry before and in that way we have like conquered nature and Hmm. we are like above nature and so then Lil Nas X comes in and these symbols of masculinity and like conquest and power are all like crumbling and decaying it's kind of like this early idea of what the music video is going to be and like this is going to be this kind of disruption of traditional masculinity and power and he just like moves on through to this like scene where he's seated looking very femme he's got like long pink hair he's got long hair pink guitar and um then there's this big like snake coming out from behind and Mm. immediately that's kind of like biblical Eve, mm-hmm. serpent temptation kind of thing but also like apollo is often associated in antiquity with the snake mm-hmm. and then it starts like chasing lil nas x and he's running past this like figure made of stone like that's kind of half into a tree which is like to me very symbolic of like daphne um mm-hmm. who you know apollo was turned into this tree to try and escape Apollo and faces emerge from these purple flowers that look like hyacinths and then Hmm. essentially this is all kind of linked in you have this like predator chasing which I would argue Apollo pretty Mm -hmm. much always characterized as a predator just an awful shitty god like the worst Mm -hmm. Um, truly (laughs) just truly awful Poseidon is sometimes well is I I stand by Poseidon is the absolute worst of the Olympians but Apollo is really a close there. second the yeah. theseus of the gods if you will just the <laughs> um, yeah um and yeah and then you see Lil Nas X he goes down into this kind of amphitheater and he's in this chained like chained up he's got this kind of like faux fur pink like kind of cape across him that looks 
to me, very kind of Mm Hercules-esque. Even the hold which the chains are on is like in weight lifting is like the Hercules kind of like hold. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's in an old movie. I remember seeing people talking about it when that video came out. Yeah. Like it's like, yeah, in an old movie about Hercules. He's like yeah. specifically standing just like Exactly. Yeah. And Hercules is so seen as this kind of like, especially now we kind of look at him as this kind of like heroic ideal. But mm-hmm. he's also in like ancient texts, there's a lot to do with him kind of like subverting gender norms. Like in one mm-hmm. of his, you know, in one of his labors, he like, famously goes to the queen of the amazons and has to wear her clothes and act like a woman and while she wears his and then he has this lover hylas which obviously ends tragically as mm-hmm. all of these <laughs> stories do but so yeah so he is hylas is taken by women that feels like yeah kind of means something too yeah. that's interesting so yeah. that just occurred to me no yeah. <laughs> I definitely yeah no i definitely yeah. think there's something there and my favorite kind of aspect of the video is where you see Lil Nas X go from his kind of like chained Hercules, Heracles, however you want to call him. Um, he tries to go up to ascend to the heavens and he's like cut down, has the very famous like pole dance scene where he's like spiraling down, amazing, down into hell. And it forms what we know in ancient stories as the catabasis or mm-hmm. the kind of descent into the underworld. And we see it in like all of these stories of heroes, you know, Aeneas, Odysseus, like Heracles. Yeah, all of these characters Mm -hmm. have, I don't actually know whether Heracles does. I don't think, I don't think think Theseus definitely does. Theseus definitely does. But okay, so. He does it badly. In the leagues of heroes, like. (laughs) Oh no, of course Heracles does, because he goes and gets Cerberus. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Just doubted myself, but no. No, so did I immediately. And then I was like, wait a second. What? (laughs) Very obvious. <laughs> I don't remember that in the Disney movie, but no, he does that too. In the Disney movie yeah, as well. I don't know what I'm talking he about. really does it in the Disney movie. He really movie. does. Yeah, even more. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, so it effectively like, kind of places Lil Nas X in the ranks of these heroes. Um, all of their kind of descents into the underworld form this massive par- part of their like narrative arc. And I think that's especially important with when we look at, okay, how is classics used now? And disappointingly, a lot of the time that we see classics used in like kind of modern politics and culture is it's been really latched onto by white supremacists, right? Who see Mm -hmm. the ancient world as like that they are the inheritors of ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And they see this as this kind of like, idealized white society which it absolutely categorically wasn't like they are 100 mm-hmm. percent wrong but they they see this and like it's when you see their like them with their like Molon Labe placards and it's like all of this kind of like referencing to the ancient world which by the, on a side note the stupidest thing like why are you referencing ancient Sparta like Persia did beat them Thank you. I say like, this all the time. Because so, Molon means come and take them. And it's and like they Persia did. did. Yep. Persia did. They took them. Like, they took them. <laughs> I mean, I don't think any of these people with the placards are particularly keen on, you know, actual facts here. I think we can no, all indeed. agree that they are <laughs> ridiculous. And Anyway, yeah, that always goes for me. No, I'm um, the same. <laughs> but, yeah, so, and especially... 
um, Hercules or Heracles, he's often like, his white supremacist website is like really, really love him, really love all mm-hmm. these heroes. So I think it is like massive and so important and incredible to see this like black artist, this black man who has been raised to the ranks of a hero, like a hero alongside Odysseus, Aeneas, like all of these ancient heroic figures he's been raised alongside them and he completes his heroic narrative so he fights the devil um gives him this lap dance amazing then like kills him takes his crown and then gets the wings that he would have needed at the start to ascend to heaven so he's Hmm. completely like completed this heroic narrative this catabasis and has brought himself into the ranks of like the Homeric hero, the ancient hero. And I think it's this like beautiful kind of reclaiming of antiquity from the hands of white supremacists who hold up these heroes as these kind of like pillars of like what they think is this like great, like white, heterosexual, toxic, masculine ideal. And then Lil Nas X comes in with this like beautiful performance of like femininity, black excellence, black beauty, like comes in with all of this and then puts himself alongside these heroes. I think it's Mm -hmm. unbelievable. It's so powerful, works on so many levels and it just really challenges this toxic heteronormative white idea of what a man should be. And I think it's, it's just beautiful. It's amazingly yeah. done. Yeah, it challenges that and it so explicitly challenges those those everything that you're just talking about, this like white hetero narrative when it yeah. comes to ancient Greece and and like especially when it comes to like or ancient Greece and Rome, I should say, but when it comes to like classics broadly too, like there's all these really I and I don't know enough about it and so I won't pretend like I do, but I know that like there's a real distinct lack of of specifically black people and broadly more broadly Mm -hmm. people of color who are like studying the ancient world and and not for any lack of interest i imagine but more like all of the different systemic reasons yeah um and and so like it's kind of it's nice on that level too uh, of having that like yeah a a black man putting himself in the classical world which is like absolutely he would have had a place there but like the modern world sees that he doesn't um yeah and so yeah that's so lovely also, yeah. it just sounds like an amazing video, and I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> you should. I so I presented uh, on this at this um, the annual meeting of postgraduates um, in ancient history in Malta, and I presented on this, and so I had to watch the video. I would say I've contributed at least a thousand of the views that are on there. <laughs> I was going frame by frame, and I still love it, and it's still like just as amazing to me as it was Um, that's wonderful yeah but yeah I think it's incredible and also very needed because like I was trying to think I can't remember what her account name is I feel like on Twitter it's maybe like artistfully or something oh yeah Brittany yeah Brittany right who does the and we've just seen again she did like an amazing depiction of Athena who happened to be black and has got Mm -hmm. a massive amount of racist backlash over it and it just shows that like how important it is to reclaim classics back from this 
disgusting white supremacist narrative that has come along um Mm -hmm. and yeah and it's you can see as well because like we had the Lil Nas X video and then I think it was just like months later it wasn't a long time later then Lizzo did Mm -hmm. her rumors video and again that drew really heavily from antiquity and so I think we're seeing this really like beautiful pattern of like black artists like reclaiming this culture that has been used against them in a lot of ways and you know Mm -hmm. people used ancient history to justify all sorts of like awful things slavery Mm -hmm. racism it's been used in exactly yeah in so many ways against black people against people of color more broadly against so many people and so I think that it is powerful and amazing and so valuable and needed to see this kind of reclamation that we're seeing at the moment Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's really wonderful to watch Mm -hmm. um and I think that that more like positive note because I had another thing to add but we're going to end it on the positive note because that's (laughs) absolutely fascinating and I just love it and I loved hearing about I also love how in detail you can describe that music video just yeah. like I'm assuming yeah, I could memory. do frame by frame from memory yeah at this point yeah yeah I'm very impressed. I close my eyes at night and I just see it <laughs> not so bad that seems yeah. like a fine way to live for sure uh, well do you this has been so much fun thank you so much um, oh, do you want to tell my listeners oh god yeah I'm so happy to have you back I'm so glad you asked um do you want to tell my listeners where they can like read more from you or follow for whatever you want or just literally anything and everything yes so I am most active on twitter which my twitter is just a uh, queer classicist but then also I have a website thequeerclassicist.com which has taken a backseat in the last few months because I've had a lot of um, conferences and papers that I've been writing, but (laughs) it is everything that I've needed to do has now been done. And so it's now at the (laughs) front of my attention. And so there will be like more coming up there, but everything is shared on Twitter. Twitter is the place I spend way too much of my time. And so everything (laughs) new that I'm doing goes on Twitter first. So yeah, I'd say that's the best way to find out more. Yeah. Great. And I will link to everything in the episode's description too, so everyone can click and find it easily. Nice. Um yeah, thank you for doing this. This was uh so much fun and so fascinating and it's so lovely to talk to you about all these wild and so entertaining and important topics. Yes, it's been so lovely talking to you too. It's been great. Won't leave it <laughs> won't leave it two years before our next chat. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Good. <laughs> How fun. I love talking to Yentl again. Uh, we talked about Rhodes because I'm going to Rhodes. I think I put that off mic, but I'm so excited. And now it's all I can think about. Um, and gods, I just loved learning the intricacies of these, just these, these more specifically academic ways of approaching the subject. It's interesting, even if it isn't necessarily how I go about it on the podcast. It's so valuable anyway for me to know, for me to share. Plus gods, listening to Yentl describe basically every second of that Lil Nas X video. 
madness incredible i was enthralled like so fucking fun all of it so as always a huge thank you to yentl for joining me and make sure to follow her on twitter or check out her queer classicist website for more i have linked to both as always uh last time she and i talked about a dionysian harry styles too and this time lil nas x and queer theory (laughs) honestly you get it all and if you haven't listened to that last episode with her oh my god please check it out because Harry Styles is Dionysus. Oh, gods, did I make a, I made a real uh, admission off mic when it comes to Harry Styles too. I have listened to a lot in the past year. <laughs> Let's talk about Myths Baby is uh, written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians. Honestly, Michaela does so many things. She edited this episode. She's been editing so many conversation episodes so that uh, I don't lose my mind and I love her to the ends of the earth for it. Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by iHeartMedia. Help me continue bringing you the world of Greek mythology and the ancient Mediterranean by becoming a patron where you'll get bonus episodes and more. Just visit patreon.com or click the link in this episode's description. (sighs) I am Liv and gods do I love this shit. I don't understand what the big fat ones are. You don't put those inside of you, do you? I mean, you do? This is a show about women. Okay, so I just reapply my lip gloss after eating a delicious lunch. We are headed back now to European political systems class at Baruch College. Finally, a show about women that isn't just a thinly-veiled aspirational nightmare. That's it. That's actually the name of the show. It's not hosted, not narrated. We're just dropping into a woman's world. It's like reality TV on the radio. I found out when my dad was gay when I was 10. We were in a convertible on the 405 freeway, listening to the B-52s. Looking back, I should have said, this is gay. This is already all gay. (laughs) Listen to Finally a Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. You've been looking for me, yeah? Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. These are the tales that shaped the nation. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. The devastation those first bombs caused. Then I told them they were drinking cyanide. (laughs) Featuring the voices of Wes Study. At least 4,000 people died on the trail. Martin Starr. President Nixon called me the most dangerous man in America. Scott Hayes. Next thing I know, I'm standing over the bodies of Baker Morton. My pistol smoking in my hand. And Tristan McWilds. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Starring Dan Fogler as the ferryman. This is The Passage. Listen to The Passage now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hi there, Chelsea Handler here from the Dear Chelsea Podcast, and I love women. 
iHeart is proud to celebrate International Women's Day by highlighting some truly exceptional women and the work they do to make the world a better place. There are certain things that only women can do, like bring life into the world, multitask successfully, and in my opinion, women are the only people who should ever be seen wearing open-toed shoes. Our guest this week is none other than Monica Lewinsky. We discuss what to do about online bullying, why the media treats men and women so differently, and how we women can turn our pain into power. On Dear Chelsea, we give unfiltered, powerful, and often hilarious, I do say so myself, advice to our listeners who write in about anything from breakups and loss to nosy neighbors and what to do about your boyfriend's OnlyFans habit. Which brings us right back to International Women's Day. Take a moment this week to think about how you can support the women in your life and then take action. Find Dear Chelsea on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, the Weedian House. It's election time, and voting patterns have shown sluggishness during local elections. This episode, I'm hopeful that this will not be the case when you hear my conversations with the candidates I spoke with. How about this? Sometimes the issue is it costs too much money to live in Los Angeles. There's this attitude that, well, I've done it, why can't you? And so there really is a disconnect. And my interview with Dr. Cornell West. Do we have what it takes to acknowledge the rich humanity and creativity in our precious unhoused brothers and sisters? Listen to Weedy and Howls on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.